0: Good morning. I think this is uh, my second time speaking here, I believe. Have anyone heard me speak before? Okay, you can go home now. <laughs> i repeating what I said last time. By the way, have anyone watched the basketball game last night? What a game, right? Toronto, 15 points behind in the third quarter and came back to beat the Milwaukee Bucks. Milwaukee from Wisconsin. I was speaking in Wisconsin in February. They are, they are like us, a lot of trucks. <laughs> it is a lot of trucks, a lot of woods, and people just like you and I, very down to earth. I love the American in Wisconsin, and, and a lot of hunting. That's why the T-shirt I read is Fear the Deer, right? And, and we are the we the North. So when I, when I heard the interview after the game, I heard the player repeating the whole same theme. We are not satisfied. We are not satisfied until we beat the Golden State Warriors, right? I'm not a basketball game fan, actually. But all my family from Toronto, so I'm happy for them. But this morning, I will tell you we are not satisfied until we raise healthy family. We are not satisfied until we raise healthy kids. For us men, we are not satisfied until we become healthy men. And for the ladies here, we are not satisfied until we become healthy women. Amen? Now, this morning, to begin with, I want to share with you a few true stories. These are the stories that people share with me, with their permission, and I will share with you this morning. The first one is from a single man. Hello, Dr. Shea. I'm engaged to be married. I love Jesus Christ with all my heart. I have given my life to serve him. I have fought for years to rid myself of a lingering pornography problem since I was 12 years old. I've told my fiancé right from the beginning that I struggle with this. She is supportive, but is hurt, can understand fully. I love her so much, often lack the strength. I hate hurting her. I want to stop more than anything in the world Sometimes, I hate myself. I feel like I have tried law. I want to understand why this is so difficult. Could you email me some advice or point me in the right direction? God bless you. The next story happened at a prayer conference, a big prayer conference in the state. During a conference which I was learning to listen to God, While I served on the prayer team, a man and I were praying for another young man, a high school senior. As I asked Jesus what he was doing and wanted to do in prayer, I saw the word pornography spelled out. I didn't know how it applied, was afraid to ask. But I took the risk. I asked if the issue pornography was something God might want us to pray for. The young man replied, not really. I said, hey, I'm new at this listening to God thing. I probably just got it wrong. So the other men, I pray for areas in which the young man did need healing. At the end of the prayers, I walk away. I make it about halfway across the ballroom floor of the hotel where we're holding the conference, when the man who had been my prayer co-worker practically tackled me. He said, that word was for me. That word was for me. Not for the guy with whom we were praying. I came a thousand miles to this conference to deal with my addiction to pornography. I hadn't worked up the guts to tell anyone. I'm leaving tomorrow. If you hadn't said what you said, I would have left without ever dealing with it. He and I went into an absolutely beautiful time of prayer. For cleansing and coming free afterward, I counseled him about practical steps he needed to take to settle into real change. And I received this email recently from a mother, from a mom. Hello, Dr. Shea. I'm looking for a counselor for my 18-year-old son who struggled with porn addiction, which has led him into sexual behavior with girls. We never used a counselor before, and I'm wondering how you help someone. Is it about talking through the whys of how they got there? How do you help in the healing? And the last story I'm going to share with you this morning, the story of a clergy, the story of a minister, the story of a pastor. Dear Dr. Shea, thank you for the participation you were involved in on television on the Miracle Channel today in Lethbridge, Alberta, Canada. I have served as a pastor for a number of years and went went through a burnout in 2002. We took me out of ministry a Christian psychologist is very helpful in assisting me through the recovery process. While I'm not pastoring at this time it has been a blessing to get back on my feet again. The struggle that I had with pornography while I was still in the pastoral ministry was immense. No one knew that I was going through and you are the only one that I've shared this with. The chemistry factor involved in pornography that bring a release of the stress and depression, our dealing with while going through some difficult church issues as a pastor, is a very real thing. You have spelled out so clearly to me on the program this morning. May God bless you as you continue to minister so openly regarding this growing plague in our society. Folks, this morning, I want to tell you one thing. I want you to remember this. Pornography is a non-chemical drug. Pornography is a non-chemical medication that messes up our brain. Pornography is no different than alcohol and cocaine because they all affect the same rewarding areas of our brain. Pornography is just a different choice of drug for some people. Now, when something like pornography messes up our brain, it's no longer just a moral problem about right and wrong. It's no longer just a spiritual problem to grieve the Holy Spirit. It's no longer just a severe relationship attachment injury in a marriage that pushes love and pushes people away. When something like pornography A drug messes up our brain. It has become a health problem. God wants us to be healthy. A godly man is a healthy man. Healthy man, healthy marriage. Healthy man, healthy home. Healthy man, healthy church. Healthy man, healthy community. The Apostle Paul understands this, and he wrote to the Corinthians, shun immorality and all sexual looseness, flee from impurity in thought, word, or deed. Any other sin which a man or woman commits is one outside the body, but he or she who commits sexual immorality sins against his or her own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple, the very sanctuary of the Holy Spirit, who lives within you, whom you receive as a gift from God, you're not your own. You were brought with a price, purchase with a preciousness, and pay for, make his own. So then, honor God and bring glory to him in your body. 1 Corinthians 6, 18-20. So folks, what is the function, the benefit of a drug? Of a medication, usually, what a drug does is to relieve pain, and increases our comfort. Just like when you have a headache, you take a Tylenol to relieve the pain of headache and increase comfort. So, what are the benefits of the pornography experience? There are two kinds of benefits: the emotional satisfaction, and then chemical satisfaction. Emotional satisfaction, the first kind of emotional satisfaction, is. Acceptance. There's no rejection in the pornography world. You're always welcome. You're always accepted. There's no such thing like a box in your in your iPhone screen with a caption. If you come back to look at me this way, I'll call your mom. I have her iPhone number. I call her right away. If you can invent this type of application, you'll be rich. All the women, all the mom, all the wife will flock to you to buy this app. You'll be rich. So far, I haven't seen one yet. The second emotional satisfaction is soothing comfort. Now, Dr. Shea, what on earth does pornography provide soothing comfort? Where does soothing comfort have anything to do with pornography? I tell you why. It's the breasts. The breasts. I think today is the first time you heard someone talk about breasts in the church. (laughs) Let's be real. In the pornography world, there's a lot of breasts, but they are fake, they are surgical, they're not real. But woman breasts have a maternal meaning. What is the maternal meaning? Maternal meaning is soothing, comforting, bonding, trust, acceptance, nurturing, nourishing, attachment. The man is not looking for sex. The man is looking for soothing comfort. So we have acceptance, we have soothing comfort, and the third emotional satisfaction the porn world provide is control and power. Control and power mean you have every control and power to choose what you want to look at. No one is stopping you. and that's control and power. Now, these are the emotional satisfaction. And then, the chemical satisfaction. Because when we look at the porn world, the images and the videos and all these things, our brain, our body is sexually aroused. When the brain is sexually aroused, it it releases a tsunami, a spike of feel-good chemicals. Endorphin, oxytocin, dopamine. These all feel-good chemicals, are created by God to put in our body, our brain, actually, supposed to be released on the marriage bed. Not anyone, not anything else. Endorphin. Endorphin is our homemade antidepressant. Endorphin is our homemade selexa, homemade Paxo, homemade efexa, homemade Cyprolax, homemade symbotar. Homemade antidepressant to decrease stress. And anxiety. Oxytocin. Women have more oxytocin in the body, in the brain than men. And oxytocin is for bonding and attachment. That's why your wife still wants you to cuddle her after sexual intimacy, but for us men we're still thinking, hmm, I still can catch the third period of the Oilers game. And then dopamine. (laughs) Dopamine. (laughs) Dopamine is where the word dope comes from. You make the connection now? The word dope comes from dopamine. Dopamine increases the craving for the same rewarding experience. Increase the craving for novelty, for something new, something different. So dopamine is kind of the little devil in our brain. This is where addiction comes from. Craving for the same soothing, comforting experience. This is not the design of our creator. No, God doesn't create dopamine to be our drug dealer in our brain. Dopamine is created for the joy of sex on the marriage bed. So that I want to do it again tomorrow or next week. That's hallelujah. But... But when the dopamine is released outside of the marriage bed, dopamine doesn't ask you, where are you right now? Are you with your wife? Or are you by yourself looking at your iPhone with a porn website? It's still released. So when the dopamine is released outside of the marriage bed, it still increases the craving for the same rewarding experience. And that's where the addiction comes from. Now, what a wonderful drug experience. Emotional satisfaction, acceptance, soothing comfort, control and power, chemical satisfaction, all these feel-good tsunami of these chemicals. But it doesn't stop there. Because this emotional and chemical satisfaction upset the check and balance of the brain economy. See, our brain has an economy, okay? Okay, Our brain have economy, especially the check and balance between the frontal brain and the middle brain. Frontal brain, I call the brain of the higher purpose. It's about reasoning, about logic, about choosing right and wrong, about making the right choices, and also about good and bad, but also about self-control. So the frontal brain is the CEO, Frontal brain is the lead pastor. Frontal brain is the central bank, the Federal Reserve. Frontal brain is the headquarter. Now, the middle brain, I call it a wild beast. Because the middle brain is more simple, basic, like an animal brain. The middle brain governs emotion, feelings, pleasure. But the middle brain also, inside the middle brain, there's a place called amygdala. is the the fear center, will trigger the fight or flight. To fight is to get angry, frustration, aggression, piss off, shut down. Fight is running away, avoiding, escaping, looking for pain relief, looking for comfort and soothing. Now, the job of the frontal brain is to have enough power and strength to put the brick on the middle brain. That's the job of the frontal brain, to put the brick on the middle brain so that to prevent the middle brain from doing something stupid or something not right. In essence, keep it a temptation. There's no need to execute the temptation. Frontal brain is all about executive function Just like making healthy choices Making healthy decisions So is the middle brain talking about I want to buy this car This is red I always want to drive a red car I want to buy this red car now That is the middle brain talking But the frontal brain is talking No, 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 don't buy it No, no It's not a Toyota It's not reliable <laughs> so there's check and balance check and balance between the frontal brain and the middle brain but the negative effects of drug like alcohol cocaine porn even food and gambling is to tip that check and balance between the frontal brain and the middle brain so the frontal brain have a sluggish economy and the front and the middle brain have a red hot economy Frontal brain is only 60 watt. Middle brain is 300 watt. The frontal brain does not have enough power to put the brake on the midbrain's red-hot economy. The end result, just like the red-hot economy in Vancouver, the housing economy. So the end result is addiction. I know it's wrong, but I cannot stop it. Actually, I'll tell you one thing. The middle brain economy is so hot that anything like a woman cleavage on a magazine picture or a sex scene on TV can trigger the flow of dopamine in the brain. And in turn, the dopamine helps the brain seeking for the same rewarding experience in the porn world, again and again and again, it's called the salience effect. This is scientific, the salience effect, because the middle brain economy is so hot, anything, like a woman cleavage, can set up the release of dopamine, and the dopamine will look for the same rewarding experience for you. Nowadays, advanced imaging technology, scientists are using functional MRI to look at images and blood flow in the frontal brain and middle brain. They're able to see cocaine, alcohol, and porn affect the same rewarding system of the brain, which being porn is just a different drug of choice. Anyone here, a mom and dad here, raise your hand. So we have a lot of parents here. Mom and Dad, you are the operational manager of your home. You are the CEO. Both of you are the co-CEOs. You set the values. You set the mission. You set the direction. You set the rules and regulation in your home. Mom and Dad, if you want to run a drug-free home, if you don't want anything in your home, To pushes people away and pushes love away, you have to include porn on your list and to restrict this non-chemical substance from entering into your home. And the most effective way to talk to your children, to your kids about porn, is to present it as a drug. A drug, a medication. A medication that messes up our brain. I'll tell you one thing. I'll tell you about the young people here. A 60-watt frontal brain does not do much for Jesus. A 60-watt frontal brain assigns supreme value to porn at the expense of other interests such as health, work, school, marriage, family, have a good sleep, and life itself. A 60-watt frontal brain doesn't do much for Jesus. A 60-watt frontal brain just brings you to church, that's all. Now, let's be real, not every boy, every girl, every man, every woman addicted to porn. Many boys and men can say to themselves, did it, done it, I got better things to do. It's true. There are many boys and men out there, did it, done it, but now I have better things to do. So, who are the boys, who are the girls? Who are the men and the women who have a hard time saying and doing, did it, done it, have better things to do? People, kids, and family who are most vulnerable and the least resistant to porn addiction come from the following family history. If you want, you can write this down. People and kids and family who are the most vulnerable, the least resistant to porn addiction, or any addiction, come from the following family history. First one, a, fam- a history of addiction in the family. A history of addiction in the family, like gambling, alcoholism, like my grandfather, was an alcoholic. Second, a history of abuse in the family. Verbal, emotional, physical, and sexual. Thirdly, a history of excessive anger problem in the family. Example, a mom or dad who has an anger problem. Fourthly, A history of parents or older brother, older sister, who are very critical, with very high expectation on anything. Nothing I do can make my mom happy. Nothing I do is good enough for my dad. And lastly, a history of being bullied by other kids in the school. A history being bullied by other kids in the school growing up. These are the kids and the family who are most, with this family history, the most vulnerable, the most resist, least resistant to any kind of addiction, including porn addiction. I want to tell you one thing. All these families with all these types of history have one common theme, one common thread that binds them together. All these families and this type of history have one common thread that put them together and that is shame. Shame. There's a difference between guilt and shame. Guilt tells you you make a mistake. Shame tells you, you are the mistake. Guilt tells you, you have a problem. Shame tells you, you are the problem. Shame is always about the person. It's always about attacking the person. That's why it triggers enormous emotional pain. And these are the common shame attack. I am unworthy. I am stupid. I am ugly. I am fat. I am inadequate. I am a mystic. I am nothing. I am useless. I am a loser. I am no one. I'm nothing but a failure. I can't do anything right. I will fail. I have no value. I'm not a good mom. Not as good as others. No one would love me if they knew all my secrets. Cannot measure up. Cannot believe God will forgive me for what I have done. No one would want me. There's something wrong with me. When I see my client check off a lot of these shame attacks, I tell my client, you should not be happy. You're basically telling yourself, you're a piece of garbage. You should not be happy. If my client say I'm happy, then I say, you have to work very hard to be happy. You have to work very hard to be happy. It's painful. These are the pain of shame. In order to make the pain of shame go away or more bearable, many of us do three things. According to Dr. Brittany Brown, a shame researcher out of Houston, Texas, I call these three things shame receiver behavior. And these three things are pleasing, performing, perfecting, pleasing, performing, perfecting, pleasing, always a people pleaser. Cannot say no. Always feel responsible for everything. Always feel responsible for everyone's well-being. These are the people who burn out quick at work, who burn out quick at home. Always want to please. Always want to make people happy. And performing. My worth is 100% based on my performance. These people become a workaholic. And then perfecting the performance, become a perfectionist. Don't make any mistake. Every mistake is fatal. I don't like you to make mistakes either. Pleasing, performing, perfecting. Pleasing, performing, perfecting. is to try to make the pain of shame more bearable. But sometimes that pain is so overwhelming. It's just like a force, like a pull. Just pull me to the porn world to seek some pain relief, soothing comfort. So pleasing, performing, perfecting doesn't cut it anymore. The person has to look for other means of pain relief. And for some people, porn fit the bill. For some people, a person who is not your spouse fit the bill. Because that woman respect me. That woman affirm me that man make me feel good about myself without knowing that man or woman become your medication. Now these are the bad news. Porn messes up our brain. That's the bad news. But thank you, Jesus. They are good news. Because our brain is God-designed. We have a designer brain. Anyone wear a designer jean? I guess some of you wear designer jeans. But we have a designer brain. Designer brain is plastic. Called neuroplasticity. That means that our brain can be retrained, our brain can be remodeled, our brain can be reprogrammed. That's the good news. First step is to reset, regain, and protect the check and balance between the frontal brain and the middle brain. Do not create an environment, whether it's at home or at work, that continue to excite and stimulate the middle brain to seek comfort and seek pain relief. We need to stop the spike of that dopamine. We need to give the brain a break. So how to stop the middle brain exposure to the drug of pornography? Number one, install accountability program on our smartphone, tablets, and laptop. And these are common, uh, good, some of them faith-based, Accountable program that we can install on our iPhone, Android, tablets, so and so, so on and on. And I will tell you some, you can write it down. Cuff and I, circle with Disley, accountable to you, X3 watch premium. be secure, ever accountable. And I repeat: Cuff and I circle with Disley, accountable to you. X3 Watch Premium, Be Secure, Ever Accountable. Number two, there are books out there the parent can talk to the kids about pornography. The first one called Good Pictures, Bad Picture Junior, a simple plan to protect young minds for kids age three to six. Okay, I repeat, Good Pictures, Bad Picture Junior, a simple plan to protect young minds for kids age three to six. And then Good Pictures, Bad Pictures, Porn Proving Today's Young Kids for Kids Age 7 to 11. So there are resources out there. And then for young adults, the website out there called Fight the New Drug. As a good website called Fight the New Drug. So these are good resources we parents can access to. Now, mom and dad, I want to tell you one more thing. In addition to running a drug-free home, you also have to run a shame Resistant home. We have to run a shame resistant home. Why? Because Jesus not only took our sin on the cross, Jesus bore our shame on the cross too. And that's the true gospel, the, the true power of the gospel. So that we are all people of the second chance. How did Jesus bear our shame on the cross? How? Because they spit on him. And they strip him almost naked. And that's how people in those times, in those cultures, shame a man. Jesus not just... Our guilt offering. Jesus is our shame bearer, so that we don't have to bear our shame anymore. He bore for us. And most of all, folks, when we hold that bread. When we cup that bread, the bread of the Eucharist, and hear a voice saying, this is my body broken for you. This is Christ's body broken for you. At that moment, everything changed. Everything changed. We are not here to allow shame to attack us anymore. We are here to run the respect tape because the opposite of shame is respect. To respect that I am a precious daughter of God. To respect I'm a precious son of God. I'm not a mistake. I'm totally, completely enough just as I am. But also to respect Life is not fair. If you want life to be fair, you'll be very disappointed. To respect that something in life cannot be fixed. They can only be carried. And you don't want to carry it alone. That's why we need community. A community like Eagle Mount Church here. Because something in life cannot be fixed. They can only be carried. But please, don't carry it alone. We are here to respect not every mistake we make is a fatal mistake. Many mistakes are non-fatal. They are there for us to learn, to grow, to grow up, to mature. We are here to respect that when you take care of someone too much, when you take care of someone too much, when you take care of your spouse too much, when you take care of your children too much, it's called... The sunny side of control. It's still control. It just looks nicer. Can you remember? If you take care of someone too much, it's called a sunny side of control. It's still control. It just looks nicer. We are here to respect. We want a home, not a house. A home is for investment in people, Investment in loving relationships, a house for show, and for investment in things. We hear the respect when you come home from work, you see the kitchen counter is a mess on a scale of one to seven, five out of seven, six out of seven, seven or seven is the end of the world, one is the opposite, which number you assign to the kitchen situation? Who said it's a seven? I see some hand up. Who said it's a one? Yeah. And we are here to respect. The more we walk with Jesus, the more we realize our Heavenly Father is a good father. In good times, bad times, and worse times. So what are the characteristics of a shame-resistant home? Number one, a shame-resistant home separates a child's behavior from his or her worth. Write this down. A shame-resistant home separates a child's behavior from his or her worth. This means that when your daughter's behavior is bad, when she makes a bad decision, that you can point them out, support her to change them, but that she never feels like, your, your love will ever taken away. She needs to know that you love her, that she doesn't have to earn it. We parents all need to learn how to do this. The role of a mom is being and well-being. Being and well-being. That's the role of a mom. Just being my daughter, that is enough. You don't need to ace a report card for me to throw you a birthday party to celebrate you. Being my son is enough. You don't need to score on a hockey game for me to throw you a birthday party to celebrate you. The role of father is blessing and affirmation. Blessing and affirmation is, I am so proud of you. That is a good goal. I'm so proud of you. That's a good picture. Do you know how many times in my counseling sessions, At the end, I tell my client, I'm so proud of you. Do you know how many clients tell me, Dr. Shea, this is the very first time someone tell me that he is proud of me. That is the role of a father. The things we do cannot be the way that we determine if we are valuable or lovable. Feeling like our worth and value conditional upon what we do, how well we perform, what other other things about us can be destructive to our identity, our mental health, our relationship. It can create a life where we are constantly performing, constantly running, constantly comparing to prove our worth and searching to get or keep the interests of others without ever really knowing who we are. Folks, i will tell you one thing. One day when you die and you go to heaven and you meet God, God is not going to say to you, why didn't you become a saint? He's not going to say to you, why didn't you read the Bible in a year? He didn't say to you, why didn't you go to Bible school? Why didn't you change the world? Why did you discover the cure for cancer? No, all God asks you at that holy time is, why didn't you become you? Why didn't you become you? Why I seen you always want to copy your sister? Why I saw you always want to be like your brother? Why? I saw you always want to preach like the other pastor. Why didn't you become you? And we better have a good answer to him when we see him face to face. Number two, the shame-resistant home practice shame-lifting behavior, not shame-giving behavior. Because Jesus is our ultimate shame-lifter. So these are some of the, I call, shame-lifting behavior. Careful when disciplining. Suggest what you might want to do, not what you should do. Listen without interrupting. Encourages. Refrain from negative facial or hand expression. Recognize being sarcastic is a form of inner anger. Will not tell you someone is better than you. Makes you look good in front of others. See and notices you. Communicates that you are loved, valued, treasured. The best. And these are common shame-giving behaviors. Self-absorbed. Abusive. Hostile. Indifferent. Uninvolved. Critical, punishes harshly, speak truth without grace, use the word should frequently, tear you down in private, in group setting, interrupt, being sarcastic, compare you to others, seek to control you, make you feel invisible, remind you that you are worthless, communicate that you are not good enough inadequate, a pain. Number three. A shame-resistant home uses appropriate physical affection. Physical affection provides affirmation of love and acceptance, as well as comfort and strengthening the parent-child attachment bond. Researchers suggest that kids who have not received the attentive presence of the parent like a parent, like a father who is so uninvolved and so self-absorbed. What is self-absorbed? Everything is about me. Everything is about him. When a kid has not received the attentive presence of the parent, are at greater risk of seeking chemical satisfaction from external sources like drug and porn. Number four, a shame-resistant home has come to realize what man, a husband, a father do in a relationship is by large margin. By large margin. The crucial factor that separate a great relationship, a great home from a failed one. Now this doesn't mean a woman, a wife, a mom doesn't need to do her part, but research have clearly shown, data have shown that proof that a man's actions are the key variable that determine whether a relationship succeeds or fail. I was speaking to the man here. God, give us a greater responsibility to keep our home healthy and ourselves healthy. Because we serve a backup. What the men do make a difference. Father, give blessing and affirmation. Mother, create a circle of belonging. And dad, called a growing boy and girl out of that circle into the bigger world. But often the voice inside us that tells us that we are adequate, good enough, competent, we are a confident man or attractive woman, is daddy's voice. It's daddy's voice. A healthy mother has given us being and well-being, even from the womb. The nurturing mother pour love generously into our soul. We are loved even when we are not pretty. Father, or people who stand in the place of God, give us blessing. It is a father's proud smile we often look for after a significant accomplishment. And we often need a father's hug and affirmation for our gender identity. Healthy dad, healthy kids. There are no healthy addicts. I haven't met one yet. Have you met a healthy alcoholic? Have you met a healthy drug addict? Have you met a healthy workaholic? I have not met a healthy porn addict either. If the dad is not healthy, looking at a porn behind everyone's back, there's no healthy role model to raise healthy kids. And number five, a shame-resistant home, connect the kids with a community of healthy friends. Start at an early age and throughout the different stages of childhood, adolescence, the parent intentionally connect the kid with a community of healthy peers in which they feel belong and they don't need to work hard to fit in to gain acceptance and gain support and gain counsel. And I pray this is the healthy community that you can connect your kids and, your, and you have your neighbor to, uh, to join here, connect the kids to be a healthy community. And this loving community, like Eagle Mount Church here, is an antidote to the sickness of seeking unhealthy way of seeking comfort, escaping pain. And lastly, a shame-resistant home has come to realize we are living in a sexualized world. A shame-resistant home practiced the Joshua principle from the book of Joshua in the Old Testament, intentionally putting under the ban devoted to God for complete destruction of any images that depict women as sexual objects, with parental control of magazine, TV, movie channels, accountability software on computer tablets, and smartphones. Now, you ask, Dr. Shea, what is a sexualized world? What is the characteristic of a sexualized world? A sexualized world, number one, is a world where sex sells. A sexual world is a world where sex sells. Example: the movie Fifty Shades of Grey sold out many movie theaters in the U.S especially in Bible Belt, Southern, USA. Now you go figure, in Bible Belt, Southern, USA, Fifty Shades of Grey is very popular. Number two, a sexualized world is a world where women are seen as objects and commodities on commercial, advertisement and magazine. I'll tell you what objectification is, what's the meaning of objectification. Objectification occurs when girls and women are seen as objects, just bodies, particularly for the enjoyment or pleasure of others. Now, there's objectification and there's also self-objectification. Self-objectification occurs when we start to internalize these ideas and play along. This can look like doing things to our body, certain exercise, certain supplement, certain medication, diet in certain way, or doing some surgical procedures to make the object of our body look more pleasing and desirable to others, but take away from our experience as a self, as a person. So, doing this almost always leads to thinking about our body in a way that makes us preoccupied with our appearance and how others see us. And a sexualized world is a world where the woman's body is used for men's entertainment. Example, Sport Illustrator Swimsuit Edition. And a sexualized world is a world where adult pornography is mainstream business and sexualized objectified images are everywhere from advertisement, commercial, radio billboards in the city. A mother wanted to train up her daughter to be shame-resistant in a sexualized world. This mother committed to train up her daughter be shame-resistant in a sexual world, and she writes a letter to her daughter. And this letter is taken from the book, Mothers, Daughters, and Body Image, Learning to Love Ourselves as We Are, written by Hilary McBride from Vancouver. In closing this morning, I want to read this letter to you. As I read this letter to you, I want you, especially the mothers and daughters here this morning, to listen quietly, to listen quietly to God speaking within you in a still, small voice. As I read this letter, I want you to listen quietly to God speaking within you in a still, small voice a mother's letter to her daughter. You do not have to be anyone's version of you to be lovable and worthy of belonging. You don't need to string down in body, voice, thought, or action to be lovable. You already are lovable. You never have to feel shame for being who you are. It's okay to feel lots of big emotions, even lots of big emotions at the same time. You can come to me to talk about them and figure out what to do about them. We'll learn together how to move through the difficult things in life together. I'm sorry for letting my hangs-ups and fears get in the way of your freedom and creativity. I'm sorry for for when I make, make you think my frustration and confusion was because you were not good enough. I'm sorry for not saying I'm sorry enough. Your body does not make you valuable. At the same time, your body is an important part of who you are. It is what makes you alive, makes you capable, and make you strong in the world, able to get, able to give, and make love, and hold the ones you love. You're not an object which anyone is allowed to use. If you can, if you can help it, try not to compare yourself with other people around you, especially when it comes to your look. Let them be them, and you be you. Take joy in the special thing other people offer the world without worrying that takes away from the special thing you offer to the world. You're not a mistake. You're totally and completely enough, just as you are. Thank you very much.